Hey, everybody. Welcome back to LA Not So Confidential. This is Dr. Scott. I am here with the slinky, gorgeous, wickedly intelligent, and utterly femme fatale Dr. Shiloh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you can lead us in every single time. Good. Okay. I'll just <laughs> keep making stuff up. Hi. How are you? I Sweating? am I'm not, not yet. I have, as we were both uh, recording from non-air-conditioned areas in order to mm-hmm. improve our sound quality. So I'm wearing my camp kerchief, which is you soak it in cold water and then wrap it around your neck. And it actually so far is working well. So... Right. Two minutes in. Yeah. Let's see if it'll last for 90 minutes, right? (laughs) Well, welcome to episode 78, everyone. We thought we would talk about a couple things coming up before we jump into our episode today. So we've announced via social media that we have had to cancel the Savannah Crime Expo this year, which was supposed to be at the end of this month, September 23rd. If you're local in the area... Please go. The expo is still happening. Scott and I just weren't comfortable traveling right now. And we still have other things happening very soon. Yes. And we also look forward to this. I mean, the Savannah Crime Expo, we were so excited that it got put together. And, you know, the promoter and creator has just been absolutely lovely. And she's fighting a battle on her end Mm -hmm. to make it happen. We give her all the support. We just, we couldn't do it from this end. I am incredibly hopeful that next year we will be there, you know, Johnny on the spot, ready to shake everybody's hands and give hugs. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Let's do all of those things. Please. So... Friday, September 17th, though, we are having a watch party. Finally doing another watch party open to everyone. It's not just Patreon members. And we are going to be watching the 1967 version of Bonnie and Clyde. So we decided to do it on a Friday this time. We heard from some friends overseas that said, can you stop doing it on a Thursday? Because I got to get up and go to work the next day. And it's really late. So we're going to do it at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Those on the East Coast can stay up a little late, watch a movie with us and around the world, no matter what time it is. Hey, maybe you do something different. Stay up, wake up in the middle of the night, watch a movie with us. We but it's a lot of fun. That. It's also really a great movie. It's iconic. It is not necessarily completely congruent with the truth that we went over when we covered it in our episode. And there's been exhaustive research and really great historical data that's come out about Bonnie and Clyde. But the movie is a beautiful representation and probably one of the most beautiful cinematic constructions with black and white. It was very edgy for its time and the performances by the actors are really great. So we will have fun. I'll do my little factoid drop-ins in the chat. Love That's that. always yes. fun. It's like pop-up video. Yeah, it is. It is. And we'll just be able to chat. So go to our social media accounts, um, all three of them. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I put posts on how to join that. The instructions are there. And then that evening, about 15 minutes beforehand, I'll post the link to everybody can get on there. You will have to rent the movie. Even with Amazon Prime, it's not free. So you'll just have to rent the movie and just pop on a little bit before and get that started. And then I will start the movie so all of us can watch it together. So be a lot of fun. Very cool. We also have October 9th. Don't forget, if you are local to Los Angeles, to join us for Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios. This is something that we both still feel comfortable doing. The majority of the event is outdoors. 
you can wear your mask, you can carry your hand sanitizer, you can keep from touching railings. <laughs> we can do a lot of this, uh, we feel, in a, a safe manner right now. So if you're going to join us for the actual Halloween Horror Nights, please remember to get the Express Pass if you can, so you can be in the same lines with us and go through the experiences and the rides with us. And if not, just come grab a drink with us and Tammy and Bryce at from Hollywood Paranormal, and we'll be at the NBC Bar and Grill at... Universal City Walk before the actual event. We'll get an exact time to you guys on that too. Just keep tuned to social media on all yeah. that too. And please, you know, just give us not like we're asking for a commitment or anything, but give us a heads up if you think you might be able to join us so we can awesome. make sure that there's enough room at the bar for everybody to hang out. That would be cool. Yes, exactly. And if you go to our website, we do have a live events section now. So you can see the Halloween Horror Nights meetup, the information there. We'll definitely update the times on that. But also it's kind of cool because it has all of our past events that we've done, links to the events, whether it's been one of Rebecca Sebastian's True Crime Trivias or True Crime Podcast Festival. There's links to everything that we've appeared at. And then, you know, you can keep staying tuned for things that are coming up, even through those other people and other platforms. So we really wanted it as comprehensive as yeah. possible when we were doing our website. Yeah. And we're, again, we said this last time, we are completely stoked about how our new website looks. We had a fantastic support through this whole process. She's amazing. Her information is on our page. It's we'll, we'll link it to you. If you're looking for a website designer and support in that process, I cannot. I I I we love having our site hosted by Squarespace, mm -hmm. but this designer was able to take it to the next level. So please look for her on our site. And the other thing is, is like we have a new website. So we would just love for you to copy and paste that right into an email or a chat with about 50 to 100 other people that are on your best friend list. <laughs> get, help get us out there. Please. Get our word yeah, out there. Sure. We'd appreciate it. You know what so, would be cool? We haven't asked in a while, and I was going to kind of save this to our anniversary, but to get some reviews going up on Apple Podcasts, is that what they still call it? I hate their new platform, by the way. It's just not very user-friendly. It isn't. But we still have reviews coming in. But if it's been a while, we would be so appreciative if you could jot down your thoughts. You know, it doesn't have to be a rave review. It could be, hey, this is how the podcast has changed. Or this is what I like of what they're doing. And just jot down a thought or two and give us a five-star rating if you think we're worth it. And that would be awesome. We appreciate it. Yeah, so we really appreciate that a lot. So we've All got right. a very cool episode that has probably more cultural relevance to my background than it does to Dr. Shiloh, except for the Venn diagram overlap here is your obsession. Oh, yes. <laughs> With what? <laughs> With JonBenet Ramsey? JonBenet Ramsey. Right? <laughs> exactly. I know. Are you ready? Did you take your go-go juice before we you got started? I, yes, I did. I had my okay. caffeine-free diet coke, which is oh. about, the, about, about the most go-go I get these days. So, That's yeah. not the recipe, but I will get to the recipe okay. later. Yeah, it's today. gross. So we're talking about the psychology of beauty pageants. Yes, the psychology of beauty pageants. And beauty pageants are... Uh, a particular phenomenon here in the U.S., but we do see it more prevalent in other 
areas of the country, which I think is fascinating. There is a very famous line from the Miss America theme song with the lyrics, and there she is, walking on air she is, fairest of the fair she is, there she is, Miss America. And it was mm. sung by host Burt Parks, I think Burt Parks was his name, sung, okay. sung it for years until he was replaced as host. And that in itself was a controversy back in the day. But Lots of give... pageant controversies. I mean, we're going to kind of focus on psychology and crime, but the controversies oh, are like... We don't even have time to go no. deep in that. Yeah, yeah, seriously. So a little bit of history and just sort of context for beauty pageants, at least historically and here in the U.S. without going too deep, is that the origin of pageants go way back in time and into sort of our collective Western mythology and history to an extent. Beauty pageants have been around since ancient Greece, and they have leaked over, of course, into our fairy tales, which come very much from the Middle Ages in Western Europe. There were contests to determine who is the fairest of them all. They've been around since the the Greek mythology, Roman mythology of the Judgment of Paris. So according to Greco-Roman myth, a mortal goat herd named Paris was determined by Zeus because I guess he was tired of arguing with his wife Hera and he wasn't going to, he's trying to nope out of making the final decision about who was the most fair of the goddesses. He gets Paris, this goat herd in the middle of nowhere to settle the dispute among the three goddesses. So why pawn it off on Paris? Because like I said, Zeus's wife Hera was in the contest And he was not going to take any chance of getting her angry because if you know any Greek mythology, you did not want Hera to get mad at you because she was quite vengeful, very, very vengeful. But then again, Zeus couldn't keep it in his pants and he was always like changing into one animal or another and impregnating women all over the place. So, well, so she has a right to be, she does. She's justified all the time. So, who are the other contestants? Exactly. She, but wait. Hera was pushed just like Betty Broderick, right? So we can just think of (laughs) Hera as an immortal, all-powerful Betty Broderick. So the other contestants in the contest were pretty tough competition. There was Minerva, or in Greek mythology, Athena, who was the goddess of wisdom. And there was also Aphrodite, or Venus, who was the goddess of love. Oh, boy. Talk about intrigue in the history of pageants. Even going back thousands of years, there was already intrigue because all three goddesses offered Paris bribes. Hera said that she would make Paris a kingdom over all men, basically giving him control of all the inhabitants of the world. Athena promised him victory in all wars, and Aphrodite, the goddess of love, promised him the love of Helen of Troy, who was considered to be the most beautiful mortal woman in the world. So Paris. Interesting. Horny little goat herd that he is. <laughs> he went with. He went with Aphrodite. <laughs> of course. And he gets Helena's love, which is very much looking back through a modern lens. We go, oh, great. So this love spell was cast where she was compelled to love him. So there was no consent there. I'm Lovely. Assuming. Right. Uh, but it also starts a war, the Trojan War. It's, so it's another example of world calamity because a musky little goat herd couldn't keep it in his pants. Oh, Lord. So Love the focus that. of beauty pageants, however, <laughs> is mo- how, after that time for a couple of thousand years was really focused mainly on men's physiques. And then you get more into the late Middle Ages and the sort of the overlap of Christianity and pagan celebrations of May Day start. 
focusing on lovely nubile young virginal nymphs on May Day. And May Day got adopted by several sort of Christian religions and incorporated into that dogma system. But the one who really brought it to the American forefront and made it what it is today, a huge economy. I mean, it's the pageant is raises and spends a lot of money in this country every year. Oh, yes. P.T. Barnum, he is of P.T., you know, Barnum and Bailey Circus. He set up the foundation for what we need, see now as a very successful industry. Wow. Yeah, it's certainly a huge part of American culture yes. and kind of the big three. I think Miss America is probably the yeah. biggest, you know, most well-known. But there's Miss America, there's Miss USA, which is separate and different. And then there's Miss Universe. So these are all different. Miss USA, whoever's crowned Miss USA, she goes on to compete in Miss Universe representing the US. Both Miss USA and Miss Universe are owned by a company formerly owned by Donald Trump. So he was in the mix for a long time. And Donald Trump was also very heavily involved in the Miss Teen USA pageant as well, which also is, we don't even have time to go into that really sorted history either. There are some very bad things happen, that happened there that have been uh, reported on in the media a lot. But just to make sure you all understand, there's two different things. The Miss USA to Miss Universe is very different from the Miss America contest. We're going to talk more about what Miss America supposedly focuses on, and it does provide a great deal of scholarships that you're going to talk about in a second. But just to understand the process, in order to compete in these large, well-known pageants, The competitor has to first climb a ladder through multiple local and state pageants. And many pageant winners that didn't succeed at the state level for one pageant will pursue it by competing in another state's competition. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, it's a little squeegee. They're supposed to change their residency. But I mean, I remember back in the 80s, 90s, there was very common to see somebody like jumping from state to state, changing their residency very quickly in Uh order to go to a state that maybe didn't have the high level of competition right? their home right. city. Because like California has a lot of competition. Alabama has a lot of competition. Texas has a lot of competition. Wow, that's really interesting. I mean, that's a lot to give up and uproot and for a chance to get in there with a different state and then go on to the big one. I mean... You're right. It is a sacrifice to do that. But remember, there's a lot to be gained from it as well. So pursuing these things can, you know, garner contestants, grants, many types of scholarships. It's not just one scholarship. And it can open doors for further careers. There are a lot of women who have gone into journalism and into being either local or nationally recognized news anchors, mm-hmm. starting off as beauty pageant winners. Right. So it's a big decision. I think that's one of the reasons some people see is like, okay, this is a way in, and I'm going to sure. use this to, to head that direction. Now, I don't know how we did this because this was not planned, but if you're listening to this episode on drop day, today, September 8th, marks the 100-year anniversary of the Miss America pageant. Wow. So it the first one took place in 1921 on the Atlantic City Boardwalk. And the winner that year was Margaret Gorman. And it wasn't called Miss America that first year. It was called a couple different things, but basically she was the winner of the Intercity Beauty, also known as the Golden Mermaid Contest, which 
I believe the next year went on to be called Miss America. So they still count it as the first one. The the way that they spoke about her and what this represented at the time that I guess P.T. Barnum was bringing to the Americas was, quote, the modern woman was vigorous. She exercised and was encouraged to eat right. This was an unprecedented break from the rigorously controlled physicality prescribed for the ideal 19th century woman with its emphasis on delicacy and fragility. So, I mean, almost describes kind of like, you know, an athlete or somebody that is just not dainty and sitting there, but she's getting out there doing something with her True. life I mean, for 1921. Yeah, no, that's actually quite interesting. And I think about what's going on in 1921 with the advent of the flappers and the change in music. And that really is sort of the beginning of the idea of the modern woman right. instead of this person where there's, there was a lot less. 1921 was really a major turning point in American history where American class structures, which were based on immigrant from England, and other parts of Europe, that was actually starting to break down, where we were seeing that there could be mobility through, you could be poor, but you could actually be successful and move up mm -hmm. in society. And while clearly it took a lot longer for the women's movement to actually gain ground, this is a big deal for them to not describe a woman's place as being pale, prone to fainting, delicate, you know, having to sit on a couch all day, be waited right. upon. So it is a big deal for that, mm -hmm. that particular statement to be made. And there were only three requirements to be a candidate back then. Now, what would those be, Dr. Shiloh? You had to be white. Okay. You had to be unmarried. You know, we're probably talking about you want to vote for these women who are available and ready to mingle, single, ready to mingle. I guess. And then the third thing is you got to make sure she's never had an abortion. That was the third criteria. <laughs> I, okay, you, I never heard that. I never knew that. What a timely reference, eh? Well, seriously, you really picked a subject that's kind of I, uh, incredibly synchronous mm -hmm. with what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, how would that come up in the, is that some, is that a box they checked off on the entry form or is that part of an interview question? I wonder. I don't know, but I'm sure it's, an honor system type question. Jeez. You know, I don't think there are any gynecological exams happening. Oh, I hope not. Poor things. So today, thank goodness, the, the criteria is much different. The woman has to be between 17 and 25 years old. She needs to be a U.S. citizen. And like you were saying, she must first enter and win a local competition and then compete to represent her state. So there is that ladder you're talking about. But not much of a criteria there besides age and citizen and that you got there by winning a previous competition that got you up to the Miss America level. So today, the Miss America organization touts itself as a nationally recognized nonprofit and serves as one of the largest providers of scholarship assistance to young women in the world. Their motto is that they prepare great women for the world and prepare the world for great women. So the scholarship program for women, the winner, she gets a $50,000 scholarship. And then that year that she has her reign, she is basically an employee of the Miss America organization and gets a six-figure salary for that year. Hopefully, you know, she's doing a lot of advocacy, going around speaking on behalf of the organization. 
sort of a, a recruitment, if you will, for getting other young women excited about it and maybe to talk to them about the pageant world and how to get started and eventually get there. So she's a representative for that year. In 2018, they did away with the swimsuit competition. So this was a direct result of the Me Too movement at that period of time. And they emphatically state that they stopped rating women on their physical appearance, period. Hmm. So not only are we going to not have them walk around in their swimsuits and where there's more body showing or focusing on how they look in a swimsuit, but we're not going to rate them on physical appearance at all. How do you not do that? <laughs> I mean... I mean, that's just... that's. I think that's interesting. That's a nice way of putting it. That's yeah, just un- that's unrealistic for anyone... To, I mean, that's the way it should be. If we're going to yeah. have a competition, let's actually look what they have done with what was given to them rather than, you know, the blessings mm-hmm. of genetics mm-hmm. and have and perhaps on top of the genetics, like really having to fight their genetics to get to this what is considered to be acceptable, because that's sure. certainly what's being focused on on the lower level pageants in order to get the person there. Yeah, that's that true. And this isn't. This isn't the voice. It's not like all the judges are turned around and right. just listening to them or, you know, hearing what they have to say and that's it. You know, it's not like I have the judge's scorecard here in front of me. I don't know right. what they're actually doing. They de- they absolutely are pushing a really big new initiative in the campaign to redefine women's wellness. If you go to their website, they're looking at focusing on optimal health rather than physical appearance. There's an organization that they've teamed up with called Sane Solution that is supposed to be science-based and backed by Harvard doctors about how to keep your individual body as healthy as possible. So, you know, it, it they're talking the talk as far as what they're putting out into the world and hopefully the messages that they're sending to young women. But when it comes down to it, I mean, what are we looking at when we like look at the finalists or the winners just as a news item, you know, I, I'm sure people are comparing beauty in that moment. So, right, right. And as we mentioned, there are tons of scandals and controversies. Anything that stand out to you as top ones over the years? Well, the big one for me in my college years was probably the biggest one of all time, which is has got a very interesting story and resolution to it was Vanessa Williams. The controversy, she was the first Black Miss America. Mm-hmm. And then there was the controversy when she, when photos of her were dropped, very right. badly done. The photographer leaking them to Penthouse was just probably the most dirtbag thing ever. Absolutely, just absolute absolutely dirtbag to to do. I mean, and I have to say, look, I have an evolution myself. It's been many years since that happened. I was in college, so I was in three Miss Alabama pageants as like an escort and a singer, along with a bunch of people that I was you know, doing theater with and stuff. And two two very good friends of mine that I, former dance partners were in various Miss Alabamas. But I remember we were all shocked and we were like, we saw the pictures and we were thinking, how could you do this? But now I've like, I looked at the pictures again recently, like a couple of years ago. And I thought, that's not what I remember it being. I mean, my, my lens has changed. Mm-hmm. My lens mm-hmm. has changed a lot. Like I think when, and this goes to body autonomy and questioning the puritanical moralism we have here sure. about the body. 
And also just the way they treated Vanessa Williams was just... Oh, yeah. It was horrific. Horrific. I mean, it was just... She was Hester Prynne. She was, you know, the scarlet letter walking around and mm-hmm. very, very badly done. By the way, for someone that I happened to meet one time when I was a caterer, when I first moved here, I catered her wedding. Nicest person ever. Oh Unbelievably gosh. nice and gracious and kind. And, you know, she always plays like bitchy characters, like on Ugly right. Betty and stuff. Yeah. And she's not. She's just this lovely woman. Well, and to be clear, these were pictures that had been taken beforehand right. you know before all of this when, i think she was she a photographer's assistant i think, I think so something okay. like that and then they got leaked to penthouse i so this is 1984 i remember the narrative hearing you know through adults or news or whatever that she had won miss america and then went and had these pictures taken and then put them in penthouse and it like disgraced the organization that's what i remember the narrative yeah Yeah. and then to hear her story and and really get the truth about it all these years later i mean what a horrific thing it's interesting because in 2016 finally the organization formally apologized to her on stage at the event that year then ceo sam haskell told williams You have lived your life in grace and dignity and never was it more evident than during the events of 1984 when you resigned. I don't know how she felt about that. Does it matter all these years later? Probably. Probably means something. Well, I mean, it's it's just interesting to, to discuss on a number of levels because I would say absolutely that statement is that she lived with grace and dignity and by the way, probably went on to have more of a successful career than any other Miss America ever. We're talking Broadway, movies, television. She has done all of it. Recording artist. Yeah. I saw her in Into the Woods playing the role Mm. of the witch. And she was phenomenal on Broadway. It's just amazing. And ironic that 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 he's making that statement (laughs) because... He makes that statement in 2016. And then 2017, there are some emails leaked from Sam Haskell that were riddled with misogynistic language describing women who participate in the pageant in just awful, awful ways. Like the word Um, that we don't use. (laughs) Yeah. The word that we don't use, which is really like... I think it was stunning to everybody. It was, it's actually was even stunning to me. I worked at William Morris as an agent's assistant while Sam Haskell was still there. He mm. was a, a very interesting individual, very talented agent, very well respected, and an odd person, like very, like with a bizarre smile on his face most of the time that just didn't seem mm. real. Yeah, very odd guy. I remember going to his office one day, his assistant's birthday was coming up. And I said, hey, I know so-and-so, your assistant is having a birthday next month. Do you want me to pick up a cake? And I remember him looking up from his desk at me while he's holding his pen with this weird smile on his face. And he said, we don't do birthday parties in this office. And I was like, okay, all right. I was getting a fucking birthday cake, dude. Bye. (laughs) You know, we're having cup, we're having cupcakes down in my cubicle for my. Well, maybe birthday, he would have so. fat shamed you for eating that cake. Oh, probably. There's probably. a lot of fat shaming and slut shaming going on in these emails. Yeah, I he mean, really got in a lot of trouble. Yeah, joking that one of the women should die. He ended up resigning. It was highly publicized, and a few days later, he resigned. I the thing that pisses me off about this kind of stuff, and one of the things that happens later in one of the criminal 
cases that we discuss, mm-hmm. which really I have for the heinousness of the crime that was committed, I appreciate what was said at the end, which is not reflected in how Haskell handled this. You know, when you say something that horrendous about women and making shaming, marginalizing statements, you don't say a mistake of words. Ugh. You just don't, that's not a mistake of words. You fucked up, own it. Yep. You know, own it and move on. And it's it's very sad. Now, another connection is he's married to a former Miss Mississippi. They were high school sweethearts. Her name is Mary Donnelly Haskell. She auditioned for me several times. When I was a casting director, I was never able to give her a job because she's very lovely. And we were like, every time the producers were like, she's too pretty. <laughs> like, Oh, no. Yeah, and a beautiful singing voice, like an unbelievable contralto. If I remember, like a contralto blues voice that she Ooh. could sing hymns and stuff. And she was on an episode of, what was the show about law enforcement in a small town? Picket Fences. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was on a great episode of Picket Fences. But hmm. they have a lovely family. But yeah, Sam, I would... I encourage people, when you make a mistake, how about you own it? I would love... Yeah. That would be so refreshing. So you were asking me when we were talking about this, about what's the big deal with pageants in the South? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that there's a reason for it. I think it has to do with sort of this echo chamber of culture that Southerners fall into. And it's on some level, it's sort of this weird joke. And yet we take it like super seriously because Mm. I'm telling you, we would be laughing at it, but we'd be watching every single pageant all the time. When I was in at Birmingham Southern College studying fine arts, one of my dance, two of my dance partners, one was Phoebe Jo Stone. She was Miss Alabama while I was there at BSC and Angela Tower won, I think the year after I graduated. And they were lovely. They still are. They're lovely, lovely women and brilliant, brilliant classical ballet dancers. I mean, really, really amazing dancers. But, you know, it was like we were saying at the beginning of the episode, it's a choice that you make. And there's like a whole thing. You learn how to walk, how to talk, what kind of eye contact to make, how to be in conversation with someone. And during a time when really, even though that was the 80s of the South, that there wasn't a lot of room for presenting yourself or exploring other types of womanhood if this is the path that you're on. I remember Phoebe towards the end of her reign as Miss Alabama, because you have all these public appearances you do besides competing in Miss America, all these public appearances. And you're like, you've got handlers, you've got people on you all the time. She, I saw her near the end and she was so worn out and so tired oh, I bet. and just exhausted and just sort of like, I think she made a kind of a statement. She goes, I, I did not really know what I was getting into. I really thought I knew, I thought I was prepared, but you know, you don't know it until you're, you're in it. And then mm-hmm. I remember seeing her a few years later and just the joy had returned to her face. And she was this woman that did not have to play any of those kind of previous rules that she was going by. And she just looks so much happier. And sure. Angela, same thing for Angela. And this, um, this is this might be a total weird, stupid question, but do you think it has anything to do with traditional gender roles in the South, the way that like football is so worshipped for yeah. men? Like there's a thing for men and then what's going to be our thing for women? Yeah. 
Does that make sense? I, I, mean, it, I completely agree. I think it's gotten more divided because everything is more divided and hyped. I would say, like, I remember the stylist that came in and picked all of Phoebe's clothes. And they were like, even for me as an Alabama hick at the time, I was like, that's the classiest set of clothes I've ever seen. Like, they yeah. were amazing. And now, like, there was a Miss Alabama a few years ago and her gown was made of like the houndstooth of Bear Bryant's hat. I mean, it was just like this this freakish comical dress. I'm like, what are you talking? That's not classy. What? You look right. like a buffoon, but that's just me. Now, look, I got to have to tell you, though, as, as much as I love Phoebe and Angela, one of my favorite Miss Alabamas ever was Paige Phillips. And I think she was Miss Alabama in 1979 or maybe 1980. And her talent was ventriloquism. No. I, no, I shit you not. That's so she, hard. It was brilliant. And no, it wasn't just one ventriloquist dummy. It was what? two. Their names, their names were Dinkle and Darlene. And oh, she would have God. a three-way conversation with, beside, between herself, the two dolls, and then sing in all three voices. It was nuts. Please tell me there's YouTube video of this. Oh, there's got to be. Everybody look up <laughs> Paige Phillips, Miss Alabama, Dinkle and Darlene. Whoa. What, look, there's, what a there's, talent. Yeah, there's a really weird dichotomy that's always existed. I think really we've only had real discussions or the beginning of real dis discussions since the Nessa Williams experience. In the distance past, there's been very real discussion about how pageants objectify women mm -hmm. because there's always this quick retort, but it's about the scholarships. It's right. about uplifting women. It's about, it's like, well, no, you're not uplifting women when you're making sure that you can fit into one of three swimsuit options. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And the most recently emerged options are sort of framed in this paradigm of like, how could there possibly be a better opportunity for women to be in a position to learn to conduct themselves under pressure of public scrutiny? In a gown or what? in a swimsuit. That's such, I'm going to make a lot of gagging yes. noises today. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, and there's such like, how do you flip that? How do you find something, you flip the gender on that, and how do you find an equal for men that you would put them in a thong on a stage and here's where you learn how to deal Men with go them. to Toastmasters. Right, right. Yeah. So there was a journalist that published in the Pensacola News Journal a couple of years ago, and she had the opinion that pageants offer parents a way to garner what they would have considered personal validation because I now have the better daughter. And that means if I have the better daughter, I'm the better parent, yeah. which really relates to some of the previous things we've talked about as far as like psych issues in stage moms or even, mm -hmm. and there's an overlap between, and I will probably be flayed alive for this. I think there's an overlap between stage moms and Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Oh, I, think I have a term for that. I'm I'll get there in my research. Oh, cool. So somebody actually is thinking about it. That's somebody great. has. So Davis also points out that in the South, a woman's ability to present herself well in social situations is one of the most highly prized qualities, which I don't think we necessarily look for that in men. We don't expect you to like hold it together. We want you to be alpha male, boo-rah, take charge. Right. You know, it's a, another one it's of a, these examples. It's a different, yeah, it's a different way that we expect them to hold it together. Right. Right. I think yeah. we have that unrealistic expectation on everybody. Exactly. Right. And then there, there's the question of why are there always so many winners from the South that mm -hmm. end up winning Miss America? And that actually has a really sort of fact-based and, and numerically validated 
foundation in that there are so many pageants in the South. Like there are so many pageants that like, if someone's daughter was not able to make it in the Miss Birmingham pageant, you could put up two or $3,000 and make, just make up a pageant of a neighborhood, mm. get them qualified, have someone, have their daughter win that. And then they'd be able to go on and compete yeah. in little miss, Alabama. whatever you want to call it. Exactly. But there's also the number of pageants is like, if you didn't win this one, well, okay, why didn't I win? I need to, and I say this, I'm I'm not saying it for me. I'm saying that their internal thought process is like, oh, I need to tighten up. I need to get my talent better. I need to lose five pounds. I need to wear a different style of dress that blah, blah, blah. So they have scaffolding learning going on where they've learned through going through maybe two to three times the number of pageants that other areas of the country might have. Like in you know rural Montana, there's not sure. going to be that many options. So there's just more experience that's gained from that. I witnessed, and I swear to God, this is going to sound like the, the wildest story. I know this is going to sound like a wild story. It is, and it's absolutely 100% true. My freshman year at Birmingham Southern College in Munger Hall, which is a small-ish auditorium, they had a pageant that was one of these sort of made-up local pageants. Mm -hmm. And I don't know who made it up. I don't know what it was created for. Don't know where the money came from. But it was called, there was an area, there was a little town called Tarrant outside mm -hmm. Birmingham. And then there was another area called Pinson Valley. So this was called the Miss Tarrant slash Pinson Valley area pageant. Got it. Like, like <laughs> what's how, the acronym there? <laughs> I don't know, but like, why would you like? It's gonna take a really big sash. <laughs> the Miss General Area pageant, like regional. Yeah, the Miss Hidden Valley Area regional pageant. <laughs> okay. So, like, so it was like just a, a cavalcade of interesting choices, and I have this seared into my brain. One of the contestants, uh, and I can't remember her name. God bless her, as we say. They were walk, they were introducing themselves. And so she's walking stage left to stage right. And she just is shoulders rolled forward, walking in this sort of white chiffon dress. So the chiffon dress is, is flowing behind her, but she's walking like a linebacker and only one arm is swinging. And I feel really bad for her. I'm like, oh my God, like maybe is, is one arm, is she differently abled or right. that's kind of odd. But, and then she gets up. And she has this really intense, angry look on her face. And I'll say her name is like Jane Boheen. And she goes, my name is Jane Boheen. And I want everyone here to know that there are two things that are important to me. I put God first and country second. I put God first and country second. Thank you. And then she oh, just kind of like. my God. And I mean, like, and she did the fingers too. Like she will one and two as she was saying that. In your face. And I was like, okay, that was really over the top. And my friend Mark Jelks was sitting next to me and we're like, did that really just happen? So fast forward to her talent. So she comes on stage and she's dressed in jazz pants, like white jazz pants, which are folks, white jazz pants are not a good look on anybody. No. I'm sorry. They're just really not. And a tube top, a white tube top. And she's got like the 80s kind of feathered Farrah wannabe hair. Like the bangs and the, yeah. Right. And then she's wearing these shoes that we were pretty convinced they were Cobby Cuddlers. And I don't even know if Cobby Cuddlers even exist anymore, but they were kind of like nurse shoes, but they were sandals. And she had made them into clogs. She had put taps on them. What? And she clogged and what? sang 
She had a combo. She had three people that got on stage and set up. And she sang a song and danced to a Roseanne Cash song called My Baby Thinks He's a Train. And the lyrics are, it's 3 a.m. in the morning, a train whistle's blowing, it sounds like some lonesome song I got in my soul. My baby split the blanket, he won't be back no more. My baby thinks he's a train, he makes a whistle stop, then he's gone again. I, like, and oh I, to, to my God, this what day, year was this? This is like 1981. This? So to this yes. day, I don't know if she knew what the, that song actually meant. And then, but... <laughs> What does it actually mean? <laughs> it has a lot of meanings. I guess if you sang it really slow, it could be a lullaby about a young mother. But that was not no. the context in which no. it was being sung this time. Did she sing it angrily? <laughs> like how she, she sang it so angry. My baby thinks he's a train. <laughs> I know that song. I totally. My mom probably had that record. <laughs> And then just clog, like really angry clogging. Stomping. Oh, stomping. Okay. And the white, the white is funny, like white chiffon right. and then white just. She the white had clogs. a theme going. She had a theme going. Yeah. So God, God bless she her. did, she did not place, but God bless her. Why, why do we think pageants are so problematic? Because of course, I mean, the most base thing that we talked about so far is that they focus on beauty. And like you said, a lot of pageants now are trying to shift that and judge on talent and intelligence. But look, so much of that is subjective. And beauty standards have been centering on a Western white ideal that only reveals certain types of specific features and specific body types. Yep. One of the things that comes to mind when Phoebe and Phoebe was competing is like she had dancer's legs. She had these gorgeous, long muscular dancer's legs. She's very tall. And they had, they got her a trainer and they were like, no, your body has to change. Oh my God. So dancer's legs are the most beautiful legs ever. They are, but they did not want them to be right. that because they want the, they wanted, especially in the eighties, they wanted the ideal, which is the ideal is when a woman is standing facing front in heels, there's supposed to be three areas that light comes through, which is at the shin above the calves and between the thighs, which is absolute bullshit that I you know. should expect somebody's thighs to be so thin. Thigh gap. Yeah, thigh gap. This is crazy. It's rarely achieved, but and it's, thank God it's not focused on so much now, but it really was before. And then also the issue of talent. What do we mean by talent? It's right, subjective. No. It's intended really to what we can be performed on a stage and then even further on stages or presentation areas where you're going to be opening a gas station or a mini mall and maybe, you know, dancing on in point shoes is not going to work so well. Whereas, or even playing classical piano, they're not going to be able to haul a piano everywhere around. A well, singer only needs a recording and a click track. It totally, and you are comparing vastly different talents. How do you compare a singer right. to ventriloquist? Right. What? What's the rating scale for that? Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, in some of these smaller pageants too, the talents would be hilarious. There'd be somebody who like how she packed a suitcase. And it was kind of, I remember oh, one time going, I okay, you know that. what? You in. actually got a lot in that suitcase. That's amazing. That's impressive. Yeah. 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 So uh, what makes people want to pursue this? Like we said, the scholarship money is legitimately a, a, a road that, you know, especially in today's environment where education is so expensive. So I think we have to be really careful about judging motives. Mm -hmm. Really? I mean, if that's a way out, it's a way out. I think some people at many times in their lives have to face moral ambiguity or ask some moral questions. You know, there are some very big companies. There are places we all love to shop. And 
if you think you're a moral person and you look into the backgrounds of some of those great inexpensive places to shop where you can get the latest beautiful thing for your home, that company has a pretty bad record for sweatshops around the world. I mean, like it's a very complex thing. So I think it's very easy to come from a black and white place and judge what these women's motivations might be. But right now it tends to be scholarship and high visibility to go maybe into local news, local politics. And certainly that has happened. Now, if we're going to go full psych view, there's some narcissism involved, clearly. I mean, it would have to be a bit, right? I mean... Well, kind and of I, with a lot of performative, even yes. oh, podcasting, and there could be some narcissism. Well, right? seriously, like, right, like I have to, you have to have a certain, at that level, I guess you have to look at like, where is the line between self-esteem versus, versus uh, malignant or toxic narcissism, or maybe right. we can create, maybe we can do a carve out and call it functional narcissism. Yeah. You know, yeah. functional narcissism that like, okay, in this moment, I know that I need to focus on myself. Maybe to an extent, that's what sports competitors have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a very interesting conversation, I think, would be... I would love to have a lot of former title holders get together and talk about this kind of thing. I think it'd be fascinating. What we do know is that some of it, though, really is not real or congruent with people's personal politics. One of the things that happens in Miss America with local talent pageants is, or talent, excuse me, local talent competitions is that they'll have the question where they get up and they interview you and they ask you about something that is supposedly very controversial. Are they really going to throw themselves on an answer that is too far in either direction? Probably not. you got to hit that soft, mushy space in the middle that right. sort of says something but is non-offensive. Because if you do take too strong of a stance on anything, you're pretty much going to be booted off. And in fact, I remember in the Miss USA pageant, I don't know why they had Perez Hilton judging. I mean, that guy's... Because yeah. that's what he say, does for a living. He good point. Very judgy. And he look, he did have the the guts to ask, like, what do you think about gay marriage? And her answer, one of the respondents back was, marriage is between a man and a woman. And it, you know, it oh, tanked right. her as far as the view. Was that a legit question to ask somebody that's in the Miss USA pageant, which is that's not what that's about? I think it feels very calculated. It's a Make weird. Him look good. It is a very weird portion of the competition because yeah. what are we testing? What are we judging? Is it intelligence? Is it the is it debate club? Is it the ability to spin doctor? Like I don't know. It's a very weird portion, and I think a portion that people love to sit back and laugh at. Right? Like. Right. It, when they just don't, when they can't formulate an answer because of kind of the impossible situation they're put in, it's a moment for people to go, oh my God, look how stupid she is. So when we talk about what are the effects of being in pageants, like what can someone who is really inculcated, integrated into this society, into this world, maybe even they started in children's pageants and sort of that's been their, a big part of their life since childhood. What we do know is that there have been some studies And we do know, look, aside from pageants, that when children or adolescents are told to focus on their looks, they have a much more strong likelihood of developing an eating disorder. Eating disorder overlap with self-esteem issues lead to, can lead to depression and anxiety disorders. 
even so much as what one is surprisingly common in pageant competitors is trichotillomania, this anxiety disorder that is marked by the behavior of plucking hairs out of your body, like eyebrows, eyelashes, even out of your own scalp. Mm -hmm. So look, while a pageant participant might have the support of family, friends, and community, for them, that support might feel empty after they have been taught that the only real opinion that matters is that of some random-ass judge sitting behind a table taking notes about their physique and their Mm -hmm. tap dancing skills or whatever. So back in 2011, Dr. Angela Everhart had done a graduate thesis study And it was entitled Entertaining a False Reality, a Social Comparison Examination of Beauty Pageant Participation and the Effect on Body Dissatisfaction, Depression, and Self-Esteem. Now, what she got out of that from this statistically validated study is that pageant participants scored higher on bodily dissatisfaction as well as self-esteem. These findings suggest that beauty pageant participation among young adult women may influence their body dissatisfaction and self-esteem. But what was interesting to find is it did not have a significant effect on depression. Yeah, they just weren't able to make that link from those. And Now, maybe if they had a larger study, I think it was like, you know, she had a control group, which is always good to compare to. I think that sort of really takes it to the next level of study. But with the bigger control group, who knows what they could have found. I mean, a bigger study group. And you spoke of child beauty pageants, and I'm just going to focus on that for a moment. But we do see a lot of similar things as far as the psychology and what could result out of participation. But it's, it's very interesting because just let's talk about child pageants first. It's a $5 billion industry annually here in the United States. So we're talking like those small festivals or fair competitions, Little Miss, whatever, county fair, to big, elaborate, expensive national competitions. Of course, we have our reality television show with TLC's Toddlers and Tierras that came in 2009 and gave us Honey Boo Boo as a little mini reality star, as well as her family, her mom. Dollar makes me holla. All those spinoffs. But I really wanted to look at one piece, which you've alluded to of what your hypothesis is here, but looking at the parent involvement. And this, you know, I don't want to say that this is any different from like other sports. Like if your child's going to be involved in something, of course, the parent has to sign off on it. I mean, this, whether it's soccer or beauty pageants, it's a matter of is the kid interested or not? And is the parent invested or interested or not? And maybe one of those outdoes the other. But it's very interesting to look at it because there is this performative piece that parents can get wrapped up in. And then we know about stage mom phenomenon and all of these sort of intersect. I wonder if there's differences, though, between sports and beauty pageants. And I was just, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here. And I was wondering this as always I was doing research. But, you know, there's so much. It's solo, first of all. It's not like it's a team sport. So you're not dropping your kid off necessarily unless they're going to like a dance class or, you know, something to prepare like that. But a lot is done at home. And I'm sure the parents have to be very involved, whether they're making costumes themselves, or they're doing the makeup and the hair. I know that they have people to do that for them too, but there's, I'm sure, many, many families that can't afford to do that. So they become experts on it themselves. And are they're just very consumed 
with making all of this show happen. And a lot of that is taking place at home. So again, you're having like the parents intertwined there. But there is a University of Arizona professor, Martina M. Cartwright. And she coined a term, you'll love this, princess by proxy. So this comes from, it's kind of adapted from a body of work that was done like in the early 90s, looking at kids who were really high achievers, and then they were looking at parents. And so there was this term achievement by proxy, you know, whether it's a kid in a spelling bee or, you know, other types of competitions where kids are excelling. But she has taken this for pageants and looked at the attraction of pageants is for parents who can gain social status, self-esteem, money through their children with their participation. So her work's been published in a number of professional journal periodicals, but she's also a clinician who works with youth performers. So she's got the bona fides for sure to talk about this stuff. But there's really two things that come up. The big thing is body image and eating disorders, like you were saying. So pageants, particularly those designed for young kids, focus on appearance. You know, even if it's like this perceived cuteness, like who's the cutest kid and oh, how cute was that thing they said or that little talent that they did and their attire can be more costumey in order to put them in a theme that we don't see necessarily with the adults. So there is really this visual component. There are parents who have kids involved that are putting their kids on crash diets that are putting them on diets, not just to lose weight, but also to gain energy for the day of the performance. So these diets mostly consist of sugary snacks and sports drinks could be for several days leading up or... Where did you find this? (laughs) This is the world. This is the world. So in an interview, Honey Boo Boo's mom gets asked by Anderson Cooper about the go-go juice. So the go-go juice that they call it is for her performance day. And that is made up of a caffeine drink. And for her, it was Mountain Dew. Which has higher higher caffeine content than other sodas. And sugar. And Red Bull. Oh, my God. So half and half. That was her drink. And then they also talk about pageant crack. Literally call it pageant crack. And... Each kid or parent says, you know, it's a different thing for their different kid. For Honey Boo Boo, it was pixie sticks, you know, the sour sugar powder. Other kids will, you know, parents will be like, oh, for my daughter, Disneyland, they call it At uh, Disneyland, they call it goofy dust. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Let's just name all this (laughs) stuff after real illicit drugs, right? Crack, dust. So what are the messages, you know, being sent here with these kids? It's attention, admiration, your success, all of that depends on how you look. And right. obviously it's a, a just an incredibly unhealthy start and for not a relationship just, with food. Of course not. And it's terrible. And I would go even so far as to say that it's not just about body dissatisfaction or body, you know, self-body image. It's also about judging your a child trying to judge their affective presentation mm-hmm. and sure. how able is the child to discern between 
what is their onstage persona and their offstage persona. I mean, if we want to look at any historical examples of this, we can look at Judy Garland and what she was put through in the studio system with amphetamines during the day, benzodiazepines and downers at night to bring her down. And then who was the other one? Patty Duke. Patty Duke also, who was later diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And she was taken away from her parents by this couple that managed her. And they put her through hell with her diet, with stimulants and, you know, having her switch switch between characters really fast. So how is a child going to actually manage what's real and what's not real in the experience of our own emotional identity? Right. Yeah. It's it's like when I see these child beauty pageants, I just see their little eyes like scanning the room for micro expressions and how to, am I being accepted? Are they liking this for the crowd? Yeah. And turning on the charm a little bit more, or it, you could just see the little wheels turning in something that they're not even understanding, except for the bare minimum of, am I doing something that's making the audience like me? Right. I, I get it. I know there's a culture behind it. I know there's obviously an industry behind it, but doesn't sit well with me. Right. So in 2005, there's a study that examined child beauty pageant contestants. And the findings suggest that childhood beauty pageant participation may influence adult body dissatisfaction, no impulse shit, Sherlock. regulation. <laughs> I know, right? Interpersonal trust. So a little bit of what you were talking about, like what what's going on here? What is my relationship with people in the world because I'm getting a lot of weird messages that probably aren't age appropriate, but it did not show any correlation with bulimic behaviors, like you were saying, depression, body perception, or self-esteem. So interesting little differences there. But the other big issue... Well, wait, okay. I'm sorry. I have to, I'm sorry. No, I just have yeah, to yeah, jump yeah. in because I'm glad you said that, but I want to also counter here or balance that with we don't know what they were using to study it and measure it and were they doing it long term are we looking at like how the the young women are functioning five years after this experience Mm -hmm. or are we going 10 years down the line or 15 years down the line which is where you get the real data of how did it affect their interpersonal relationships did it affect their sexuality you know, sure. since they like, because many people, and I'm, I have to fall into it. What as well? I, I feel like the children are are sexualized in this way. Well, there you go, leading right? me into my other point. Oh, great! There you go, <laughs> doctor. You're always prepared, way ahead of me. No, you're always reading my mind. So yes, of course, the sexualization of these children, as I was talking before, it's very much on the attire and the costumes, and a lot of these are modeled off of what adults would wear. So you have revealing, you have high cut or cropped or heels or Vegas showgirl. You know, what is the biggest, flashiest outfit that we can put this child in to get the most attention, to get the most awe, to get the most reaction out of the audience and the judges? And, you know, not thinking, oh, yeah, Vegas showgirls originally were topless women that, yeah, happened to have a lot of feathers around them and maybe a thong on, but it definitely (laughs) was much different than, you know, what we see with the kids, but there's still a, a replication going on there. Just as a side note, it 
and maybe it's an uncanny valley thing too, but it probably is more about the sexualization. It freaks me out even when I see a little kid dressed up as an adult, even if it's not sexual. And I see this a lot lately on like children's clothing lines where she's seven and she looks like an Instagram like hipster with the big brim hat and the boots and the the scarf and basically holding her fucking Rappuccino. pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just like, what has happened? Why are we modeling? Why, why do we want her to wear the same exact thing as mommy? Do you remember the really controversial episode of Toddlers and Tiara? Toddlers and Tiaras where the kid gets up to do their talent and oh, they God. come out dressed as Julia Roberts in her hooker yes. outfit. Yes. From Pretty Woman. They're yeah, they're playing Pretty Woman. And then she, I guess she does like a quick change into sort of like a red gown. I mean, we're talking about the page boy wig, the, the thigh boots. Yeah, the and, cutouts and the, on the side. And everybody was horrified. And the mom was just like, I don't... Horrified? I, don't... I get it. Horrified. Oh, no, no, I wasn't going there. <laughs> oh, oh, my Lord. I mean, that's I, that's just an example of how, re- how far they go with it. Yeah, it... Uh... Yeah, but I don't know. Kids are not many adults. They're kids in, in so many ways, from the way we dress them to the way the criminal justice system treats them, okay? But again, we're pairing admiration to wearing certain clothing or showing off their bodies, being on display, essentially. And I really think that's setting up some very distorted narratives for these kiddos, particularly when you start winning a competition based on this. You know, again, it's driving home. I did good. Got to keep that going. Do you remember after the John Bonet Ramsey murder when Dan Rather on CBS went on air and was criticizing the TV networks for playing the footage over and over again? And he said, it borders on kitty porn. You need to stop. Look, we need more journalists like that. I know. Because it was nonstop. Yeah. Absolutely nonstop. So in in that vein of of bringing up John Bonet, the numbers of child beauty pageant contestants dropped dramatically after that. The New York Times talked about in the months following John Bonet's death, corporate sponsors really had disappeared. The two top industry magazines, Pageant World and Pageant Life, totally folded. There was a, a director of the Sweet Pea pageant in Cocoa Beach, Florida. So she complained that before John Bonet died, there had been 135 girls in the competition, but afterwards they only had, you know, less than 70 contestants. Well, let's talk about Cindy Doan there. Okay. So Cindy Doan, who it was the director of the Sweet Pea pageant at that time, though, like you were saying, this is a $5 billion a year industry. Yep. She makes her money off parents paying that entry fee, which is anywhere from 50 to a thousand plus dollars to be in these pageants. Like it's, there's, there's money changing hands, you know, and what you're getting out of it is a lot of debt for buying bizarre pageant wear for your toddler. Mm -hmm. And then you got a room full of like cheap ass trophies. I'm so sorry. It's just like, especially (laughs) when it comes to this, I mean, look, there are adults making adult decisions to engage in these, which I completely respect. It's your decision about how you want to navigate this paradigm. But kids having their parents do this too, it's just, it's ghoulish. Yeah. Yeah. There's, 
it is an entire industry. So you think like how many people didn't have work or, you know, there's what coaches and voice instructors and the seamstress and, you know, dropping contestants is, could be a really big deal. But when Toddlers and Tierra hit TLC, the industry exploded again and is back on track. So let's get into some criminal cases. Yeah, there it's it was very interesting in doing the research for this. There was a, a lot of articles. There was one particularly that had like a real salacious title from People Magazine about the biggest scandals about criminal activities. And going through it, over three quarters of them are not. There were a couple of sad stories about pageant winners who had succumbed to their own demons of addiction. And I don't think that's necessarily like a great way to call it criminal when there's like their their activity was getting themselves in, into a situation with substance addiction, which is really sure. sad. But there were a couple examples that were particularly concerning. One is about Ramsey Carpenter Bierce. She won the title of Miss Kentucky in 2014 during July. She went on that following year to compete for the title of Miss America 2015. And even though she didn't win the title, she did win the talent competition. She was playing bluegrass fiddle, which oh, is cool. really, really hard to do. And I'm a huge fan of bluegrass music. I, you know, it's one of the things from my background growing up in the South that I just love. So I have great admiration. She had been playing since she was 15 and she did place in the top 12 as a semifinalist. Now, every pageant contestant that's planning on moving forward and moving up to like the level of Miss America, you have a platform, you have a particular issue right. or charity, whether it's women's rights or, you know, I don't think anybody's going to talk about gun control. They're not going to go on a hot topic issue, but they're going to go on something we can all you know, we can all get behind cancer support, right? Sure, like we, we sure. Want, Save we the want whales. Exactly. So hers was multiple sclerosis awareness. And because she had been diagnosed with the condition in 2010, just about four and a half years before. Wow. So for people who don't know, MS is a potentially disabling disease of the brain and spinal cord, you know, really um, the whole central nervous system. Some people can be symptom-free most of their lives, and others can have really severe chronic symptoms that never go away, that affect your cognitive abilities on a regular basis or your mobility. So uh, an example of somebody who got this later in life is actress Selma Blair, and she has been really upfront about it, about how you know she has good days, she has bad days, the medication helps sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. So this was a pretty good platform for somebody to choose, especially if they have a personal experience of it. She went on after the pageant to serve as spokeswoman for the National MS Society and then graduated from the University of Kentucky with a BA of Arts and Special Education, focus on learning and behavior disorders. So that's a really specific educational path, mm -hmm. meaning you're going to be working with special needs children, which mm -hmm. I think is a completely honorable. I mean, that's oh my goodness. That's yes. a beyond. I mean, it's another level of following your passion of being an educator. So she went on to teach science at Andrew Jackson Middle School in Cross Lanes, West Virginia. However, unfortunately, in December of 2018, she was arrested for sending topless photos of herself to a 15-year-old boy who was later identified as a former student of hers at oh, the Canal. No. Yeah, at the Canalha County School District. Now, at the time, 
She claimed that she meant to send the photo to her husband, but it accidentally got sent to the student. And then that the student continued to ask for photos and that she kept giving him photos because she was afraid of what would happen if she didn't appease him. And there's literally no evidence to be found that that's supports a great this story. claim. Yeah, great story. and it's exactly what it is. It's a story. She was charged with four felony counts of distribution or display of obscene material to minors. And then later in the court proceedings, as per usual, what happens is they knock down some charges and they sort of consolidate them or they find something more accurate. What she was finally charged with and pleaded guilty to is one felony count of possession of material depicting minors in sexually explicit conduct. So that, yeah, that's interesting and concerning. I wonder if he sent photos back. You know, so they're not going to prosecute him because he's a child, but she had possession of these. Or, I mean, who knows? Maybe she had a cache of child sexual abuse images. Exactly. She should have had, she could have had some child abuse images. We don't really know. I couldn't find any more information on this. It is very interesting that they go from four felony counts of distribution or display Mm -hmm. to minors and then possession of this so Mm -hmm. was she sending pictures from her collection cache there uh, it was intimated that she sent a picture of herself topless which would probably be way less of a charge if that's all that it was but we don't really know maybe at some point we'll get the full story in july 2020 she was sentenced to two years of imprisonment 10 years of supervised release after her release And then she is a lifetime register on the sex offender list. And she will have to go through what we facilitated at the forensic site, lie detector tests and drug screenings and questionnaires. So one of the things that I talked about earlier in our episode, which I actually do find significant, I don't know if it necessarily means anything because who knows how sincere people are when they make statements like this. But at the end, when all is said and done and she's going to prison, she did say, Since I am the adult and he was just a teenager, it is my fault. And I accept full blame for the situation. So that's how I'm guilty of this crime. I messed up big time. And she went on to accept full responsibility for her actions. I just, I have to say, I find that significant because you don't hear that ever. Nope. I mean, and I, I will tell you in the hundreds of cases of male perpetrators where I have reviewed this, studied these things for school, written on them, researched them. I've never seen a male perpetrator make anywhere near a statement like that. It's very rare. It feels very contrived by attorneys when it's happened, I will have to say. But we know males and females perpetrate for different reasons. And for women, it is emotional in nature at times. For the vast majority, go back, listen to our episodes on female sex offenders. To get more. Especially when we talked with our lovely colleagues over at Getting Off about Mary Mary Kay Letourneau. Right. Like you were saying, different types of needs are being fulfilled. And sometimes it can be sort of a retreat to teenage years that maybe were lost or something. And which is not not what happens when men are perpetrating. They may be developmentally stuck, but they're developmentally stuck in a very, very different way. Yeah. Yeah. Not to say that either is less than they're both criminal. They both should not happen, but Mm -hmm. it is a different different. process. Yeah, absolutely. So So you had a case. What is your case? Yeah. I 
you know, we when we talked about crimes involving beauty pageants, I mean, there are a lot with beauty pageant contestants as victims, obviously. I mean, women as victims of violent crime. Clearly, that is fodder for media and focus right. and kind of, you know, fits that narrative of fueling the murdered white woman phenomenon. And I, I chose to pick somebody who is also a perpetrator for my case here. And I'm going to go south of the border, though. <laughs> I'm not staying in the United States. Okay. So beauty pageants are popular all over the world now. I mean, probably oh, yeah. thanks to Miss Universe, but throughout Latin America, Russia, they're huge everywhere. And by um, the way, for Miss Universe pageant, I really don't think it's fair that all the contestants are just from Earth. I mean, if it's <laughs> Miss right? Universe, that makes sense. Why is no. Miss Mars, Miss Uranus, Miss Pluto? Well, Pluto's Thank not you. a planet anymore, so they'd count her out. Aww. But still, not she fair. gets shunned. <laughs> she just go back to Pluto. <laughs> go back to the Miss Rock, Miss Moon, Miss Moon area. <laughs> so in Mexico, beauty pageants, interestingly, have been long connected to organized crime and I did international human trafficking rings. Oh and, my gosh. I mean, Mexico is an international hub for human trafficking, but a number of pageant officials, winners, contestants have been executed, killed. It, it's just, it's very intertwined, which is crazy. There's just story after story after story. So there's the victimization of people involved in the industry being killed by the narcos, but... Sometimes the beauty queens get involved in the criminal organization as offenders and perpetrators. Probably the most high-profile one we might have heard of here in the United States is the Sinaloa beauty queen who married El Chapo. Emma Coronel was the wife of Mexico's most notorious cartel leader, and she was a beauty queen in Sinaloa, Mexico. So I am going to talk about Laura Romero. She's a 25-year-old woman who has a couple of crowns. She was crowned Miss Oaxaca in 2018 and 2019. Back-to-back, she won. And then she was also the 2020 International Queen of Coffee, which is a beauty pageant in Colombia. And she was also in 2015 crowned Miss Earth Oaxaca. So look, an Earth reference for okay. you. <laughs> See, so she's been doing this a while. I mean, 2015 was her her start with earning some crowns, and she went on a pretty good run there for five years. She's a university graduate. She studied business, and her platforms of advocacy have included tackling the problem of violence against women. She was quoted as saying, we can't stand idly by. We have to eradicate violence against women through campaigns and educational talks that make men aware of this issue. She speaks fluent English. She has also at other times been a spokeswoman for the fight against breast cancer and leukemia. Like you said, you know, picking some different causes that are meaningful to her to bring awareness to during her her different reigns here. So in February of this year, she was arrested in the eastern state of Veracruz. And she was arrested along with seven other people who were part of a criminal organization specializing in kidnapping. Three women, five men, and they were arrested by this elite anti-kidnap law enforcement unit that functions down in Mexico because 
kidnapping for ransom and revenge. It's a huge industry. Huge, huge industry, huge problem in Mexico. A lot of times these types of gangs will use women in their group to lure potential victims, whether it's in person or even over the internet to get them to travel. It's just a big industry for ransom. And then also the drug traffickers are involved in it for all sorts of reasons. So they are going to each face up to 50 years in prison. This is still ongoing. Obviously, she was just arrested at the beginning of the year. But I think it's so interesting to look at why this there's this crossover between pageants and the drug traffickers in Mexico. There's a book, it's called Miss Narco, and it was written by Javier Valdez about this link. And he says that really it's it's a question of privilege and power and money, but also of need. So for a lot of these young women, it's easy to get involved in organized crime because it provides a life in a country that doesn't offer a lot of opportunities, even right. for beautiful, talented women, educated women. So for young people, for women, there just isn't a lot of opportunity because the drug trade is so rampant. But he said they're really seen as basically disposable objects. You know, they're property to these drug cartel members. To It's for the drug cartel members to have the miss. Sinaloa or the Miss Oaxaca as your girlfriend or as your wife is an important part of that status, but they're often the lowest link in a chain of criminal organizations. So they recruit pretty young women who they toss away in a couple years. If they not turn them killing into police. Them, yeah, they may disappear because they don't. If you're, if we're absolutely, gonna, if I'm going to break up with you, you know too much. Yeah, yeah, and he said it's it's interesting that. You know, sometimes the criminals are seeking out these beauty queens to be their trophy girlfriends, but also there's that lure of being a part of the narcos where women are seeking to form relationships because they believe they'll be taken care of, you know, wealthy. And so there's kind of this back and forth that he found, he he obviously covered in his book, but has written other articles about where they're looking for boyfriends involved in the narcotics trade and in the gangs. Just a really sad situation. Like I said, there is case after case. I mean, story of like hours long shootouts with the police and beauty queen. She was found dead afterwards and with the... AK-47 right next to her. I mean, she was in the fight too, as as well as, you know, like accidental or being caught in crossfire and just just some really horrific things. I, I, I didn't think I would find something like that, but Laura Romero will be probably getting sentenced with this kidnapping gang that she became a part of somehow. So I think one of the things that's important to take away from what we've talked about today is that we're not intimating that there's any criminogenic or psychopathic commonality oh, no. between people who pursue this path. We're not saying that at all. We're just saying that it's interesting that this has been tangential to what these women have engaged in their lives. And these are two very different examples. I think they're really kind of contrapuntal to each other, which is great. Mm-hmm. But what I do want to focus on is that the sequelae and the outcome of focusing too much on those sort of superficial and affective presentation during childhood and during early adulthood can have some long-term impact on 
on your life. It's also, right. you know, there, I think that there, this warrants more study, even though it is somewhat of a, a smaller part of the population, but it is very interesting. And we know that not only have women for years struggled, I mean, not even years, decades, ages have struggled with unrealistic body aspirations. And now we're seeing that leak over into men as with every men's fitness cover sure. with some guy that has starved himself for three days and then it gets further airbrushed and photoshopped to be even more perfect. It's just unrealistic and contributes to a lot of self-esteem issues. And if you're not careful, that can certainly metastasize into something worse, an, an expression of anxiety or OCD or other things. Yeah, definitely. So any favorite media depictions of I, beauty pageants? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I really love, I think Miss Congeniality is hilarious. It's Sandra Bullock. It's 20 years old. No, it's more. It's probably 21 years old by now. Sandra Bullock plays FBI agent Gracie Hart. And she's going into a fictional competition that's like Miss America to prevent what has been threatened to be a bombing. And it's really funny. I mean, it does kind of turn the story over. And she plays this kind of, you know, tomboyish character that gets made over in a really hilarious way. I liked it. I also like uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is truly a dark black comedy mockumentary about a small town preliminary pageant in Minnesota. And it's for this other kind of made up fictional pageant called the Sarah Rose Cosmetics Mount Rose American Teen Princess Pageant. Oh, good Lord. Like this huge long name. <laughs> and it is Kirsten Dunst, Denise Richards, uh-huh. Amy Adams in one of her first roles. Oh my gosh. Kirstie yeah. Alley, probably Kirstie Alley. Like Kirstie Alley, as we say in the South, bless your heart. Right. But she's a talented actress. She oh, is a talented she was actress. The best back then. And her comedy in this is fantastic, as is Allison Janney. Just oh, a, it's wow. Entire, what a cast. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Highly, yeah. highly recommend. There's one scene that's really famous during their talent competition. Denise Richards' talent is really, really over the top bad taste. Like clueless. Like she's so clueless, she doesn't realize how bad taste it is. And it offended the extras from the small Minnesota town where they were filming like half the oh, people really? that were sitting in the audience like got up and walked out. Oh my goodness. Wow. What are yours? So if you want like truly kind of a time capsule of a bad TV movie, it's 1991, but I was like, this is not the 80s, but it's called Victim of Beauty. And it stars William Devane and Jerry Ryan. She's the beauty contestant. I I mean, it is very like 90s in the sense it's very stocky, like there's an offender that's very fixated on her. But basically, it's about a beauty pageant winner who's stalked by a serial killer who kidnaps her sister and then torments her family. It's a thriller. It's and a, is it based on a true story? It is. It is okay. based on a true story. So it's... Well, look, I mean, I have to say also, we've, we've touched on this in many other episodes about sort of people... You think you want to be famous. And uh-huh. a lot of people don't realize that along with fame in today's world and multimedia and social media presence, that you are open to, a, you, you are exposing yourself to a lot of people that oh, yeah. are not able to discern reality versus non-reality. And stalking is a very scary phenomenon in our country. Right. Yeah. This took place in the 80s in Columbia County, South Carolina. So before and in the 80s, there were no stalking laws oh, at no. all. 
No. It's like, oh, uh-uh. he's just looking in your window. Yeah, he thinks you're pretty. You know, that yeah. kind of crap. Another thing that came to mind for me, which isn't like beauty pageant per se. <laughs> and we we need to talk about like how this holds up in this day and age. But Julie Brown's video, The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. I'm telling you, that's classic 80s. Everybody it's run. Classic. The Homecoming Queen's Got a Gun. I know. I mean, in a day and age where school shootings are a horrific epidemic here, doesn't hold up in that way. But Oh my God. Like such a part of my childhood. I'd yeah. Have to say. <laughs> and it's got some really good lines. Julie Brown was hilarious. She's so talented. In it. But then at the end, what there's the, no the blood home... shown though. No, there's the, no... no, there's a little blood in her ear because she was supposedly shot She's... in her ear. Right. So Julie Brown says, So I leaned down and I said in her ear, her good her ear. Good ear. <laughs> I know. I know. Look it up on what YouTube. What made you do it? Why'd you freak out? I did it. Johnny. <laughs> but look, so I looked it up on YouTube today to watch it, of course. And smartly, before the video plays, there is a PSA by the Sandy Hook Promise organization, which is the one and only organization that I donate to monthly to prevent acts of gun violence. Obviously, you know, put together by the parents of the Sandy Hook tragedy. But that PSA plays before the video. And encourages you to put your money towards something good, good. if you're going to watch this video. Good. But yeah, so good. Okay, I came across... I, I have to talk about this article very quickly to close us out. Here's your gross gag material for the week. So there's a 26-year-old beauty queen from Australia. I am not going to name her. Her thing is she is obsessed with Ted Bundy. And she wrote a book, I think during the pandemic... She had so much time on her hands, which sort of reimagines Ted Bundy's crimes with this fantasy parallel storyline where he has competition, a seductive female hotel heiress who moonlights as a mass murderer and develops a relationship with him, stalking her own victims in a series of very similar perverse slayings in 1974. Seattle area alongside Tim Bundy. And she talks about this character as if it's her. And she says, my character is quite incredibly sadistic and a complete parallel to Ted Bundy. I was terrified of rereading it sometimes. Mm, Okay, Mary Sue. (laughs) And she says, because she's of Indian descent, she believes that Ted Bundy would have, you know, spared her life because she doesn't think she'd be a victim because she's not white. And he had a very particular type. So she said, there's, there's one layer of protection there for me. I'm not his type. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah. What I would say, interestingly enough, just in all seriousness about bless making... Her heart. Bless her heart. is on one in all First. seriousness. The other thing is, it's fascinating to me, the lack of insight and interpersonal awareness of how classless that is. Yeah. And to the extent like, I mean, we've even talked about this is like the cannibal cop the cannibal cop was at crime con totally thought right? of this at and the same that time. was like how is it appropriate to have this guy i mean we we talk about that in the true crime genre about like what are we glorifying versus what are we educating and offering people support and understanding sure. for the interest in this type of material but why would you i mean that just shows an amazing lack of insight to say this about yourself and i use the term i even said okay mary sue because there is a phenomenon in writing in fan fiction where you read something and 
the author, it's very clear that the author has sort of placed themselves in this heroic position. Mm -hmm. And we kind of term it Mary Sue because Mm -hmm. they make themselves the smartest heroine in the whole book. And right. Yeah. So one last thing before we end. Thank you very much for that ending. But I want to go, I want to test you on your waving ability because as a pageant winner, right, you have to be able to wave appropriately. And I'm watching you here on camera. So I'm going to test you. So what kind of wave would you do if you were like in a car with a small window? You were not on top of the car and okay, but you're in so but you're in a small window. What what kind of wave do you do? I think if you're inside a car, it would be different than if you're on the outside, like in a convertible. They have to, it has to be a bigger motion. I don't know. I know there's no, like elbow, smaller. elbow, wrist, wrist. Right. Okay. Right? So think of it this, the smaller, so the in the car, you get like the baby wave, which is the like little doll hand doing this. Oh, like, just right? closing you, the you hand. Know, hi, hi. So it's not covering your face because you okay. don't want your face to be covered. But okay. if you're on a float, right. you do the window wash. No, yeah, no, 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 you're doing it all. Elbow, elbow, wrist, oh my God, wrist. You're never, okay, you can't tap, you can't twirl, you can't wave. I don't know, we can't take you to the south. <laughs> I can eat. No, it's the window wash. It's the one long, two short. One, that's it. Oh, oh God, I just, yeah, just knocked your microphone. Sure everybody heard that. And then if you're on stage, Then if you're a royal. Yeah, but, well, slow it down, slow it oh. down and just do this. It's like this. That's called the screwing in the light bulb. That's what oh. Queen Elizabeth does. That's that's the no, royal. That's what Beyonce does. <laughs> that's put a ring on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I'm all like hot and we're, sweaty now. We're gonna have you ready for the Mrs. America pageant. Do they still do that one? Mrs. How about Doctor America? Yeah, let's do it. The Doctor. America. Let's flip it on his head. All right, we did Sexy it. Sexy little Doctor outfit. We did it for Johnny. <laughs> did it for Johnny. Who's Johnny? <laughs> Debbie. Who's Johnny? Are what you made Johnny? you do it? Why'd you freak out? Are you Johnny? <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We All appreciate right. you holding on for us in this long-ass episode. Fascinating material again, or at least we are fascinated by ourselves. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> yes, you can take your tiaras <laughs> off now. Yeah, please join us for the watch party. I'll you'll be. I'll wear a tiara, and you can wear a beret for uh, Bonnie. We're not on video. We're not. We'll have to do it anyway. That's even better. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time on LA. Not so. Confidential. Bye-bye. Bye, folks. We sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network, and each episode is hosted, produced, and edited by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our music, entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir, is utilized under a Creative Commons attribution license. Cool Vibes is composed and performed by the amazing Kevin McLeod, who graciously allows us to use this great piece of music. Please check out his YouTube channel at handle 1HMNC. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at www.la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Please hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast so you can be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. 